This is Liz Reed. This is my podcast called Liz Life Guru. I'm a practicing therapist here in Michigan. This show will focus on addiction, mental health issues from beginning to end. I am also in recovery for the past 20 years and I have plenty of topics that can help you from A to Z. So let's get started. Gina, good to see you and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Hello, Miss Liz. Thank you. To you too. You know what people do a lot of at this time of year? Of the holiday time? Yeah, well, around the holiday time. <laughs> yeah, I guess we make a lot of decisions around this time of year. Yeah. You made did. a radical one. You're buying a house out of nowhere. Moving, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's very stressful. Everything's very, very stressful. Very stressful. Yeah. Getting a new house, wonderful, exciting. However, you know, I currently have a house, and it didn't go as well as the sale Bummer. as I thought. Yet. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put a yet at that. And it will. It just didn't happen in the time frame that I thought it would. Absolutely. And but, that is life. That is. is life. So it's been a little little bit of anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. And so stress and anxiety leads to a lot of different things. Uh, how do we manage stress and anxiety? Um, our show that we did, you know, over the holidays for about the holidays was kind of like a precursor to what we're going to talk about today, which is how we beat ourselves up after we come out of an addiction. And I mentioned your situation, my situation, anybody's situation with stress, anxiety, um, depression, whatever it may be, that may be, this is the chicken or the egg kind of thing, the reason why we fall into addiction. Ah. Yes. And so when we get sober or have brief times of sobriety after using for a long time, then we have to face all those emotions. And even if it's situations and things that we can't fix, which is a wonderful thing about AA, it takes you through the steps of getting sober, which has a 95% success rate and it's free. Let me just point that out for everybody. Often when we're facing, when we wake up out of our numbness, which is where alcohol and drugs keeps us, we are faced with all that shit that we were dealing with prior. Do you typically find that people turn to alcohol and drugs because there's something that in their life has led them to want to just forget or or, or well n- yeah numb? That, but, but once again, like I said, it's kind of the chicken or the egg. So often we'll say, uh, was it a mental illness first? Were they dealing with some kind of anxiety, depression or something? Or was it a situational thing? Did something happen to them to make them want to use drugs and alcohol? We, either or, it doesn't really matter until, as long as we can get the end result that we want, which is long-term sobriety. Mm-hmm. So for many people, um, we, won't, we will wait six months af- of sobriety. We'll go as far as six months before we prescribe any type, I don't prescribe, but doctors prescribe any type of medication, an antidepressant or maybe a benzodiazepine if they are able to take that or something that they might need to help with psychotic breaks or with the mental health disorder that they had prior to using. So you're saying, let me stop you right there. Yeah. So you're saying, so six months, if they if it's an ongoing problem, but if it's situational, like I'm upset about, you know, I broke up with a yes. partner or mm-hmm. this didn't go the way I wanted it to, they typically wouldn't prescribe something for that short period onset. No, no, pro- no. So not, there's a difference. Yeah, there is a difference because we are not sure if they had a mental health problem before they came in or, uh, and they are using, often people will use drugs to help with the symptoms, the anxiety, the depression, the psychosis, and people are psychotic because a lot of schizophrenics and psychotic people, people with psychotic tendencies or having severe mental health issues, major depressive disorder, uh, bipolar 2 
not everybody, I'm just saying in a broad statement, want to alleviate those symptoms. So I know I used alcohol for my anxiety. It was my sedative, right? Mm -hmm. It affects the body just like a benzodiazepine. So I was drinking alcohol to keep, you know, squelch my panic attacks and help me with that. And I was in the restaurant business, so you could drink in the restaurant business. So a little slug of wine or a shot or something behind the bar and then go back to what I was doing was no big deal. But little did I know I was creating this horrible addiction for myself where I was using alcohol to manage my anxiety. And so as we go through this, we finally figure out with the patient, okay, listen, is it mental health? Is it a combination of mental health? Is it the situation you find yourself in? Is it past trauma, however you were raised or something that went on in your life, um, possibly some type of horrible attack occurred, you know, a rape or something like that, or a shooting or a beating or any one of those uh, million different things that can happen to somebody. How are we going to face life and not let waking up, the brain waking up and being conscious of our daily life take us down? That is the key thing because often we are riddled with guilt, shame, anger, frustration, um, self-loathing, things like that that we feel about ourselves that we did in our addiction or the things that originally were bothering us from the get-go. So how do we manage those things when we come out of a numbed state? And, you know, typically... Like I said, with AA, that's a great part about it. It takes you through the steps one by one on how to face what you've done in your past and how to feel about the things that you've done in your past and how to make yourself accept the old you and move on to a brighter, better future. Julie, who I used to do, uh, she would do podcasts with me, not Julie, my old co-host, but Julie, who was also an addict like I was. She was addicted to crack cocaine. Um, she's been sober for many, many years and turned her life around. And I asked her about that when I, when I, I said, you know, how do you deal with your guilt and shame over the things that you did, you know? And she said, oh, well, that's not me anymore. That's not me anymore. That's the old me. That's mm-hmm. somebody who was altered and under the influence that had no idea what she was doing. So I have no guilt and that's wonderful. You know but what? A lot I th- of people don't feel that way. That is true. And you know another. And this doesn't. This has to just do with things that you've done in your past. It doesn't have yeah. to be addiction related mm-hmm. or you know any kind of yeah that kind of thing. But I think in the past, you've made mis- Everybody's made mistakes in their life. Yeah. And I've always looked at. Yep, that didn't go as well, or that didn't that didn't happen the way I thought it would, or you know whatever. However, those hardships that I went through, they have made me the person I am today, mm-hmm. which is a confident, successful, mm-hmm. blah, 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 fill in the blank person. So you know what? Those things were stepping stones to get me to the place where I am today. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to embrace your yes. mistakes because it, they're the ways that you can learn. And it doesn't necessarily have to be with, with addiction. It can be with anything. True. Very true. You know, I think it helps us move on. It does help us move on. And that is being humble and accepting yourself, that radical acceptance that I talk about all the time Mm -hmm. with you, accepting who you are and where you've been and what is going on. All of us don't grow up or have families or a support system that is necessarily the best. I mean, I have a good support system, but many people do not have that. So I don't want to sound like Pollyanna here because many people have done horrible things in their addiction, stealing prostituting and mm-hmm. stuff, you know, this doesn't pertain to me or you or my, but a lot of people have been through horrible things like that and find it very difficult to forgive themselves. So wherever you find your support is the first and most important thing. Your support system, these are the people that don't judge you. 
So in radical acceptance, it doesn't have to be your family because they may never talk to you again. And mm-hmm. that has to be okay. Or you're going to end up using again. It has to be okay. The person you were then is not the person you are now. And you can't spend the rest of your life beating yourself up for the things that you have done in your past. You have to look and like, let's say, let's look at feeling emotions. You know, there's certain emotions, something that was extremely emotional for you. If I think about, I don't know, something that is very emotional for me or upsetting, losing my mother, Mm -hmm. you know, how devastating and Mm -hmm. hard that was on Mm me, uh, losing a pet, certain things that have happened, somebody saying something particularly cruel or um, ending a relationship, any one of those things that you're like, you know what? If I have a drink, I won't think about it. If I smoke some weed, I won't think about it. If I shoot up some heroin, you know, there's definitely gateway drugs that we end up using things we never in our lifetime thought that we would. That numbs us. What would happen if, you know, we stopped and we felt those feelings? Well, often this is what I would see at the addiction facility I worked at. People are like, Liz, (laughs) I'm dreaming. Okay, I'm having all kinds of dreams. I'm thinking about all the time about my dead son. I'm thinking all the time about what I did with that old man to get enough money to get my heroin. Uh, I'm thinking about how I robbed my grandmother and my family and no one loves me. Why would I want to be awake like this? And that's a hard thing to argue with somebody, right? You can understand the way they feel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because you know what? You don't want to think about it. You want to move beyond that. Mm -hmm. And so the drug of choice. Yeah. It, although it doesn't help you move beyond it, it helps quiet those demons. Yep, it quiets those demons and the chatter in your head. It shuts it down, mm-hmm. all that chatter in your head, and helps you, well, you think it helps you to cope, and it doesn't. It just continues to ruin your life. So if you expect or if you're getting high or you want to get sober, but you don't want to face these demons or you think it's going to be insurmountable. I mean, I know people that have thought like, I literally, I'm going to explode. I'm going to implode. I don't know what's going to happen to me if I literally say the words of what I've done and just kind of accept that spilling the beans, talking about it and facing your emotions as a cleansing and a purging instead of a self-criticism. Everybody's done something wrong. Everybody has things they've been ashamed of. Everybody. Yeah. Nobody lives in a glass house. No, absolutely not. And pointing fingers, judging people for who's worse than others, those are people you can't be around. So you have to find a tribe, as we talk about, whether it's perfect strangers through AA or someone in your family who truly does understand. And, you know, they may have stipulations like, you know what, uh, Gina, you're invited over, but um, we know your past history or and, you know, we don't want you alone upstairs. We don't want you in the bathroom. We don't want you outside. If you show up here high, you know, that's just an example. You have to be okay with that. Right. Yeah. You have to accept what they're going to the parameters that they're going to to put on you based on your past experiences. Absolutely. And I think though, by accepting that, you have to also say, all right, I acknowledge that, but know that I'm not that person. Yes. So Liz, you know what? Okay, I won't go into the bathroom Mm -hmm. or upstairs, but know that I'm not that person anymore. So I want you to identify me as that. I want you to think of me like that. Sure. And if you started as, you know, you know, especially in those situations, because those are really rough ones, because a lot of families don't want you around because you do take off to the bathroom. People will take off to the 
garage and swipe things and leave suddenly and you don't know what's gone till much later in the afternoon mm-hmm. or something like that or days or weeks later. So in reality, you have to be open to that. Like, okay, I get you. I hear what you're saying and I totally understand. So let's just try to move forward from today. But I will adhere to all of your expectations and limits that you would like me to adhere to in your home. Absolutely. Right. Because my my, the way I conduct myself and my history going forward from today will prove who I am, not my bullshit (laughs) and not my verbiage. Right. Right. Because another component of being addicted is lying and Mm -hmm. lying is a tough one to get past because we desperately, desperately want to believe that our addicted loved one is telling us the truth. And they often aren't. So let's say we decide after hearing this podcast that we want to get sober. And we're going to face our emotions. What would be like the first thing we'd want to do about that? Besides getting someone to help us, you know, getting someone to help us. What would you, what would you, what do you think? Well, probably having to face the family and tell them like, I'm, you know, I'm going to get sober. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do this anymore. Mm-hmm. That's very true. But what I would recommend, don't tell anybody anything. Okay. Do it on your own. Do it on your own. And as the emotions come up, feel them, feel them, feel them. Cry, throw up, scream, yell, whatever you have to do. But whatever you do, don't pick up. That's what we say in the biz. So don't you're pick saying up. not to tell family because they're going to say, well, you've done that before. Yes. Yeah. So so if you, you know, like when I got sober, I didn't really tell anybody. I just kept it myself. So don't, don't rely for the initial, what I hear you saying is then mm-hmm. don't rely on the initial process mm-hmm. for family who you've done this with a million times before. Find a support system outside of that. Or, you, or you know what would be even better if you can't do what you can go to meetings. Like I went to meetings all the time, AA meetings. Um, I didn't know anybody there. I didn't bond with anybody, but it, it was an outlet. It was a good place to go. But if you could, but I did most of the work all by myself. I did what I needed to do for me, which included yoga and meditation and um, forgiving myself for anything I may have done wrong, <clears throat> making apologies where I thought they needed to be made. And most everybody was like, oh my God, we didn't even know. Or, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, I did. I did. I knew. So accepting 110% who you were, what you did and what it looked like, and that that is not you any longer. This is your private journey that you take on your own. And so when you start feeling these emotions, you have to feel them deeply, honestly. You have to feel the pain, the anxiety. I mean, I often tell people when I got sober, it felt like somebody had ripped all my skin off my body and I was walking around without skin. And I was in the middle of a freezing rainstorm because I just, the internal shaking was so bad. And that's what everybody wants to avoid is that feeling. They don't want to feel that feeling. So we'll do anything to get away from it. So I had to completely put together a whole nother way of life for me. I told you that I couldn't even um, cook dinner in the kitchen because that's where I used to drink. Mm -hmm. So I had to change the time I cooked dinner. I cooked different things. We ate earlier or later. Um, I changed up my regimen. So for every person, it's going to be individualized, but know that whatever you do, it's going to benefit you. That is your toolkit on getting yourself in a comfortable place so that you feel these emotions, you train yourself to sleep again. That's going to be a very difficult one right there. You have to learn to sleep again without being knocked out. You have to be able to soothe yourself to sleep. I used to sit up and read self-help books till like two o'clock in the morning till I could finally fall asleep. It was Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Then I'd go to yoga every day. And then I would go to meetings every day. And I, I said to myself, I'm doing this once and I'm never doing it again. 
And for many people, they're not that lucky. I get that. And I understand that. And my case was pretty severe, pretty severe. But if it's something that you truly want and you feel those emotions and you work through them and working through them is just identifying them because that's a big blanket statement, right? Mm -hmm. Feel your emotions, work through them. What the fuck does work through them mean? What's that even mean, work through them? <laughs> it really doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, mm -hmm. right? To me, what that means, and to me as a therapist, is speaking the words. I feel like this right now. And when I think about this, I feel sick to my stomach. When I remember abandoning my child or leaving home or stealing, I feel sick to my stomach. I don't want to ever remember that. Well, the best thing you can do is talk about it. If you, you've seen people, right? We've talked about this before on stages that talk about the most horrible things they've done in their lives for the rest of their life mm -hmm. in TED Talks and so forth. That's how they survive. That's how they survive, by telling others. And the more you say the words, the more you talk about these feelings and how these feelings make you feel and how sick it makes you feel, the less power they have. Much less power, much less power, till eventually it's that feeling up over there that you're like, oh, I see it over there, but it doesn't affect me like it did when I, you know, three months ago when I would was frightened to death to even suggest it or talk about it. So feelings, emotions, the things that drive us back to addiction, all of those things need to be addressed, felt, and worked through. And perhaps everybody will understand when you show up to that holiday season and you've been sober for two years and things have changed. But you can't push it. You can't rush it. You have to feel this stuff, work through it, and come out the other way and forgive yourself first and most of all. Merry Christmas, Gina. Thanks for your insight, Liz. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to replace treatment or diagnosis by a qualified mental health professional. 